You're listening to episode 35 of Caucus Talk, your source for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus mountains of Russia. My name's Andrew. And my name is Hungry. I mean, I'm, my name is Eli, and I am <laughs> Hungry. That was, that was awesome. We've got uh, back with us um, my wife, Christy. Hey, guys. Yep. Woo-woo. Two in a row. Don't get comfortable. <laughs> the, the twofer. I know, that's right. Yeah, man. So we're picking it right back up with part two of food in the North Caucasus. This is what people really want to hear about. So much for the, the history and the backstory. Let's talk about actual dishes. We like literally the entire history of the podcast has been building up to this moment. <laughs> hey, before we talk about food, I have a funny story to share. Have we ever talked about the Russian train on this podcast? Yes. In fact, we have. Yes. I actually played a little blurb a while ago ah. of some like recording I tried to do, yes. but it was really unclear what was happening. It was like someone muttering because it was two in the morning and I was trying to go. Anyway. Okay. But so, yes. Yeah. We've talked, about, we've talked about in the podcast, like essential things about being in the Caucasus you have to experience is going to the banya or the sauna eating shashlik with friends, doing shish kebabs. But then one thing that is a must cultural experience in Russia is riding the train, especially overnight. I agree. Yeah. And um, I, uh, pre-kids, Christy, we used to do, we did a lot of train rides back in the day. Oh, man. I When I was single, I have done dozens and dozens of overnight train rides. I remember one month I had 16 nights in what? overnight trains in one month that wow. is kind of weird yeah did a lot of train travel back <laughs> but, uh, in the day like russia's train system is amazing and it might be the most efficient thing in this country why does america not have a great train system you know that is such a good question america should it's- have a great train system it keeps going bankrupt. It's it's our car cultures. We put all of our money after World huh. War II into the infrastructure of our of our uh, our world class highway system. I mean, we have the most incredible highway system in the this world. This is true. Russian roads are fairly bumpy. <laughs> That's right. So there's a trade off here. But I agree but the, that. Yeah. Oh man, the overnight trains are awesome. Like you go to a city twelve hours away and you get on at nine p.m. and you wake up at nine a.m. and you're there. It's amazing. Not quite that You may not actually (laughs) sleep throughout the night, but... I love overnight trains. Listeners, here's the deal with Russian trains. Um, There's different levels you can pay for for level of comfort, but the main uh, cabin that most people ride in, it's called Platzkart, and it's like 50 spots, and you have your own bed, it's literally like a big open cattle car with 50 bunk beds. Yeah. So there's like a hall that walks through. I mean, but it's then... got windows. It's not like planks on the wall. Yeah. yeah. No, no, yeah. no. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like a normal train <laughs> car, but it's like 50 bunk beds in this big open car. How do you say yes. cattle car politically correct? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. A big open train car with 50 bunk yeah. beds. But so basically what that does is you've got six to eight people right there around you that with bunks you, like right next to you. You can either talk to or be talked to whether you want to or not. <laughs> and uh this train train ride, I was going from Vladikavkaz, uh coming home on a business trip, Vladikavkaz in North Ossetia, uh to the train station near our house. And uh 
it was about a four hour train ride and we left at six thirty AM. And I mean, I had like the most random people around me. There was there was a couple older Russian folks. There was an Ossetian guy. There was a Azerbaijani student from Georgia, and then me, an American guy. And some, sounds like this the start of a joke. It was I'm telling you, it was like a, a Soviet comedy film, the scene. <laughs> and uh basically this student from Georgia, he was Azerbaijani, but he was from Georgia. And he had missed his flight. He's studying in St. Petersburg. Oh, he missed his flight because no. his his friend got a flat tire on the way to the airport. Oh, no. And so Tbilisi is so far from St. Petersburg. And yes. so he it's was like <laughs> Miami to Chicago DC to California. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. That that kind of long, the entire length of the United States. And what? so he is was really literally, yeah, yeah, yeah. He w- he was literally having to basically hitchhike his way all the way from Tbilisi, Georgia to St. Petersburg, the far North of Russia. And so he had taken a bus to Vladikavkaz and then he got on a train and he was going to go up to close to Rostov, which was, is near Ukraine. And then he didn't know what he was going to do after that. He had like 50 bucks to get the rest of the way to St. Petersburg. And so for two hours, this little group of people, including myself, we were like communally trying to help him figure out how he was going to get to St. Petersburg oh on my his gosh. budget. It was so funny. Um, that is amazing. And like just the dynamic of different ages, people being from different places. I mean, he was like <laughs> this 19-year-old kid, like a little bit disrespectful and like he at one point uh, I'm like the odd duck. I'm the American, you know, but I was like really trying to help him on my phone, find the right bus ticket from the right city. And at one point he was like, Andrew, you've lived in Russia five years and your Russian is this bad. <laughs> and the whole group collectively turned on him and was like, how dare you talk to him like that? He speaks good Russian and he's trying to help you right now. You need to close your mouth. And it, it. it was so I funny. He just set himself up for a group beating. That oh, was man. so great. But like, so we were, we were on the train together four hours until we got to my, the end of my stop. By the end, I mean, they were like, we were all hugging each other as I got off the train. <laughs> Hope you make it to St. Pete. Was, Don't forget to write. <laughs> it was really great. Like uh, you, I just got off the train really happy because it was just a very, very Russian experience, especially yeah. even Caucasus experience. Um, yeah. So anyways, if you come to Russia, try to ride the train. Try to ride the train with an expectation of colorful experiences. Don't just pop those headphones in. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's right. right. It was really great. Well, was there any food involved in the train ride? Actually, there wasn't. Often often people are sharing their food and meals and yeah. I mean, no when food. I rode the train, our neighbors brought us like freshly fried meat pies. That's what <laughs> Russians always bring on trains. They bring basically fried meat patties. They bring boiled potatoes and they bring fresh tomatoes and cucumbers and bread. That's like the quintessential Russian train food that all Russians bring when they have a long train ride. 
Okay, so let me just interject one quick anecdote before we get into food for today, because it's a food thing. I was somewhere else in the CIS, which stands for, used to be a Soviet country. Um, Commonwealth of Independent States. There it is. That's it. But yes. all these, it was not Russia, but it was right near Russia. And so similar cultural. And, and we were staying at a resort or a conference center, and they packed us um, picnic lunches. And the picnic lunches, yes, they had a sandwich. And then every lunch had a whole cucumber, a whole <laughs> tomato, uh-huh. and a whole boiled potato. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And that was it. And it was like... That sounds great. I, they gave me the brown paper bag. I'm like, this is, this is heavy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's, Let's get do it. That food, really man. is legitimately what people bring on picnics yeah, here. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's good. All right. Listeners, you've waited long enough. What do they eat in the North Caucasus? Cereal. <laughs> we shared a quote last episode that they eat dough, meat, and fried dough. And this episode, we are showing you that they actually eat a lot more than that. That in the North is Caucasus. true. There's yeah. not only things that constipate you. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, you know, different kinds of diets are really, really popular right now in the United States. Oh my gosh. I I will say if you, if you've done the whole 30 or are planning to do the whole 30 in the North Caucasus, there's potential to, for that to work really well for you or for it not to work at all for you. Um, because I mean, we did it here. Yeah, the whole 30 is... We basically just couldn't go to anybody's houses while we were That's doing That's the key. Eat, that, it's like, what kind of life do you want to have? You can eat meat, veggies, fruit, and nuts. That's what you're so allowed to eat. It's pretty much like a paleo-type thing, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. You take out yeah. bread, pastas, yeah. and dairy, which is a huge part of the Caucasus yeah. if, diet. If you, is paleo anti-dairy? I do not know. Okay, let, I think, let's say it's not. If, if you can have dairy... The bread thing is weird to avoid, but you could avoid it. It depends. It really depends. House you're at though, because <laughs> a lot of their meals are very bread and dough heavy. Yeah. All right. So let me get this out of the way. They eat shashlik, right? Yes. Meat. Okay. So we'll just talk. We'll just say from that the beginning one is covered. Yeah, meat is a big deal. All kinds of meat: lamb, chicken, beef. beef. Yeah, turkey. I mean, you could go on and on, but but meat, but meat in, is like in the, the North centerpiece. Caucasus. Yeah, but in the North Caucasus, virtually no pork because it's predominantly Muslim, and That's pork right. is not right. eaten by Muslims, which is a stark, stark, stark contrast with all of the Russian neighbors who eat a lot of pork and hard salamis and sausages and hot dogs, and so that's a really interesting yeah contrast that's close together. Yeah. So meat, I mean, meat for sure, wherever you go in the Caucasus, that's for sure the center. Um, okay. Let's start. Why don't we start with breads? Yeah. So something really interesting um, that I had actually thought of when we were talking about how they prepare food in the Caucasus on the last episode is most women in the Caucasus have a giant vat in their kitchen of rising bread dough. It's like some people in America have like keep a starter in their fridge. I don't know. Eli, does Holly keep a starter in her fridge? 
when she's in in her bread baking mode, yes, we keep a sourdough starter in the fridge. Okay, so it's like always been my dream to keep the starter in the fridge, but I've never actually <laughs> succeeded in like keeping it going longer than a couple we weeks. We have friends that do that. <laughs> but women in the North Caucasus have these giant vat. I mean, they're huge, like these giant vats of just rising bread dough. See, at that's all what I was times. talking about the last time with like yes. sort of the cyclical thing. You have it; it's going. You don't and have so, to start it every time. Since yeah. since most of their, a lot of their food is very dough-based, yes. they pretty much at any point can, you know, pull a couple handfuls of dough out of that giant vat and shape it into, you know, bread or shape it into, like, thin pancakes to fry or add cheese or, you know, there are all sorts of different things. They basically use the same dough as their base for their pastas, their breads, like uh, their dumplings, like a lot of the different things they make, they use that exact same dough. See, and I want to interject here. I think that this is a real important feature of ethnic cuisine that for me as an American, I lose sight of. For me, like diversity in cuisine means absolute total shifts from one kind of food and culinary experience and spices and to like something totally unrelated and different. So if I have Thai one night, I can go have pizza the next night. And there's like nothing similar about them at all. Well, and even, I mean, I think like as Americans, we tend to think, oh, I had Mexican last night. I don't want Mexican again tonight. Right. Tonight I have to have Italian because you don't want to eat the same thing two nights in a row. And that's (laughs) that's our version of variety. And it's extremely varied for a lot of us. However, if you're in one one current of culture, the variety is within certain boundaries. So it's not so much like we're going to have whole new spices and whole new things. It's like what we do with our dough, we're going to mix it up and do different things. And so it may seem like a slight variety to us, but it's actually a lot of creativity within certain boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of, it is interesting. I was complimenting a friend on this like cheesy doughy bread that she made a couple months ago. And she was like, well, I have a lot of experience. This is what we eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day and have for 30 years. (laughs) Whoa. Well, there you go. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Do you think that they don't like that? I mean, do you think that the, they. Her family members all seem to like it. (laughs) I mean, it's really good. I mean, that like. That that mentality that we have as Americans of Mexican last night, Italian tonight, Thai tomorrow night, it's just it's I kind think of for so many people that would be unthinkable. Yeah. Like they wouldn't even know what to do with that, you know? It's yeah. just like this is what we do. This when it t- I mean it ties back to culture as well. Like this is what Chechens eat. These are the natural Chechen you know, the national Chechen. Food dishes. as identifier. Food as yes. identifier. Yes. Yep. Yeah. This is what Cabernets eat. Like, this is our traditional food. Like, of yep. course, this is what we're going to make. We're not going to try to make Mexican food because that's not a Cabernet food. All right. So what are some of the breads? Yeah. All right. First one, we're going to actually go south of the border here. Uh, we're going to keep it north of the border the rest of the time. But this is like maybe the best bread in the world. <laughs> Guys, this bread is so This amazing. is Georgian. It's world famous. It's a Georgian bread. It's called Hachapuri. Hachapuri. I just have to balance this 
weigh in and say, I agree, it is the best bread in the world. There's a There was a BBC article written Wait, about have I had the Georgian Hachapuri? Is it the Hachapuri I'm thinking of? Yes, for uh, sure. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. There, there are multiple different, like, shapes and strains of Hachapuri. Basically, Hachapuri is, like, yes. a doughy bread with delicious salty cheese inside. Yeah, and often they'll maybe might have like an egg cooked into the top of it. Oh, that but, um, is the denouement in my yeah. opinion, just that yeah. egg. There was oh. an article on a uh, BBC last year published about Hachapuri called The Addictive Cousin to Pizza. Oh, Hachipuri. yes, that but, is uh, true. Yeah, Hachapuri is amazing and that that's kind of like a side dish. Um, but yeah, cheesy bread um, with egg cooked on top. So, so Hachipuri is Georgian, but you can get it all over the Caucasus. Yeah. Like they okay. love it throughout yeah. the Caucasus. And it has a distinctive shape. It's kind of an oblong thing with little bumps at, at, at either end. So it's, it's shaped like, they say it's shaped like a boat. They say it's oh. like, like a boat yes. or a canoe. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, they, ha- they do have round ones as well. There are different like versions of them, but the like traditional shape is shaped like a boat. Oh man, I'm gonna be hungry after this. <laughs> so, all right, yeah, bread. Bread is different kinds of freshly baked bread are a part of pretty much every meal. Um, the word you would use for that here is lavash, uh, kind of the the flat. That's just plain regular bread. Plain flat bread, yeah. Um, and then some of the like, of course, we're talking about Caucasus food, but. All the different peoples here have their own specific types of food within the Caucasus. So if you're talking about main bread bread dishes, um, the Balkars and Karachais, which are like uh, brother peoples, theirs is called Hichini. So Hichini so is like a round. It, it basically is almost like a – it's kind of like a quesadilla, kind of. It's like a round – they fry it. It's yeah. a round, thin, thin dough fried bread dish, and it's normally filled with cheese. Sometimes yeah. it's filled with potatoes or meat, but it always has some kind of filling. Yeah, and we live, that's like in the Elbrus region and the Dumbai region, Arhiz. That's not that far from where we live, so we eat Ichini pretty regularly. Yes, um, and you can order that to your house, like pizza. It comes in a pizza box, and it's Ichini, yeah. and you normally get a stack of them. They're kind of right. thin, and you get a bunch of different kinds. And they, as soon as they're done, they slather them with like half a stick of butter per hichini. They're really, really greasy. But butter really is high in vitamin K and vitamin A, so it's actually good for you. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so those are primarily cheese-filled. That's kind of bolkar, karachai, the hichini. Then um, there's a lot of variations of this bread dish in the Caucasus. If you go a little southeast to Ingushetia, uh, they have what is called uh, chapilgash, chapilgash, hmm. yeah. But it's similar, but it doesn't have the filling. It's that similar kind of bread. Oh, dish. so it's kind of oily flatbread with oily, no filling. Oily, yeah. Um, but I've eaten a lot of that this year. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's, and would these fall under the kind of domain of Ossetian pies? No, 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 no. Uh, That's a separate thing yet again. Absolutely, this. That's probably one of the most well-known dishes in the Caucasus is Asetinsky piragi or Asetian pies. But yes, yeah, that's typically meat-filled. It could be filled with like cheese or maybe vegetables. Herbs. Sometimes they put these herbs in, these greens yeah. in. Actually, the, one of the first foods I had was in Dagestan, 
And I tried to describe it to my friends, and I told them, Chrissy, like you, I said, it was like a cheeseless grass quesadilla. <laughs> I mean, it was like this flatbread with these kind of mild, green, grassy-looking herbs with no cheese. And I didn't really know how to describe it, but that's it was in this family uh, of things. I have a vegan friend from England who lived here for a while, and that was like her favorite <laughs> food here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, seti and pies are typically thicker. Um, and meteor. Um, but you'll find like restaurants who their main thing is the Assetian pies. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're not, there's stuff we're missing, but that's kind of a good overview of bread. Bread is everywhere and the different peoples have. And I would just say that that conceptually bread is to like Russian food, what the free glass of water is to American restaurant eating. It's <laughs> yes, automatic. Absolutely. It's default. It's necessary. It's not a meal without it. Yeah, every meal, breakfast, lunch, dinner. Oh, man. And I love about Russia, like, bread here is so much better than in America. Yeah. Like, here you can, basically, like, the kind of artisan breads that you would pay absolutely tons of money for. And, the, you know, you pay 4 <laughs> or $5 at least a loaf for, like, artisan breads in the U.S., that's the kind of bread that they have at the grocery store for like 50 cents here. Yeah, it's so cheap. The so, pumpernickel, dark breads. And yeah, stuff. yeah. All sorts of different like homemade, what we would consider like artisan types of breads right. um, are readily available here, which is really, really nice. Okay, so that's breads. What's that's next? Breads. All right, let's move to grain-based like pastas. So basically continuing the dough theme. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> From your big vat of dough, you can grab a handful <laughs> and do what with it? make... Yeah, so uh, in English, the word would be dumplings, right? What we're going to talk about. Yeah. yeah. So basically, like, every people group here has their own different shape of dumplings. And different, some are little, some are big, some are, like, shaped like circles, some are shaped like moons. Like different. Everybody, everybody talks about how different theirs are, but they pretty much, at least to us, taste the same. Well, right. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> If the fillings are the same, they taste similar. They're normally filled with meat. Yeah. But um, they sometimes will use pumpkin or different other... That's true. That's true. But like yeah. potato and Yeah, that's cheese. a good point. The one thing that's unique about the chapalgash, the ingush uh, kind of bread dish, they'll fill it with pumpkin, which is pretty rare. Uh, yeah. I haven't seen that among any of the other people's. Um, I'm sure some Caucasus people is jumping up and down right now in horror screaming that, that i missed that they do the pumpkin dish too right uh but uh, sorry yeah. so here's some of the names of the dumpling dishes in the caucasus the russian version of that is called pilmini uh and this is a that's a very common dish in russia pilmini you can get them in the freezer section by the bazillion <laughs> yes. if you come visit russia and don't know what to order a lot of tourists like that as a safe yeah, like not unusual, not scary thing to order. And Russian pelmeni, they're small, kind of small mm-hmm. round. Then uh, here they're called hinkal or hinkali, uh, and that would be more da- different Dagestani uh, kind of hinkal or yeah. manti. That's what. But be they warned, hinkal. The Georgian hinkal is this large pouch like the size of a softball that swirls <laughs> up into a it's little. True nub at the top and, and it's full of broth but then you go to uh, is it Chechnya the hinkal is like a flat square of thin dough I mean 
or maybe it's a Dagestani one, but like hinkal, the dumpling can mean really different yeah. things. It's true. Yeah, I think in Dagestan they call it manti with meat manti. in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Chechnya they have yeah, it's just the little dough. They're kind of like they're squares, right? Kind of like squares, and you dip it in bouillon. And those are called jijig uh, galnash. There's they're a, kind of like a good one for you. Oh, aren't they the little the little lumps the little lumps of dough that they, they have a white corn one and a and a yes. So they have different one. shapes of them. Yeah, because it, it reminded those, me. Kind of. Yeah, a little bit. It reminded me of spetzli. If anyone knows the the German or Austrian spetzli, it's basically like a handmade pasta that's boiled and piled up. Yeah, that's that's know? exactly what they're like. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm I'm blanking right now. We have several uh, Kabardine neighbors who don't live far from us here in Pitigorsk. We've eaten their version of kind of that pasta grainy dish too, and I just can't remember the name of it. But everybody has their own version of that. Yeah. So yeah, meat and bread and dough. Meat and bread and dough. Now, none of these we've talked about are fried yet, are they? Or do you fry the dumplings yeah, or yeah. boil them? I mean, the, well, not the dumplings, but the hichini. Karachai is yeah, fried. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah. all That's those all are fried. fried. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So how do we clean out the system? I mean, where's the, where's the fiber? Fasting. Um, <laughs> yeah, so then uh, we talked about kind of farm the table in the last episode, but there's always fresh vegetables available, fresh vegetables and fruit, really. Pretty much every Caucasus dinner table, there's a huge uh, kind of display of fresh fruit just piled on top of each other. Yeah. Now, and that is like, that's fair game, right? I mean, it's cool to like just reach out and break the. Yeah. Yeah. So that's something that's really different in the U.S. Like in the U.S., if you had people coming over for dinner, you would never put like a giant bowl of apples, oranges and bananas on the table and assume that people were just going to like. Eat an apple in the middle of their meal. Eat an apple in the middle of their meal. But here, that's what everybody does. Yes. And that's part of the the lots of little things coming together to make the meal rather than everything all just in one big dish. Yes, absolutely. Assemble it as you go, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, so fruit, uh, fresh fruits, fresh veggies. Almost every Caucasus meal, there's going to be a plate of tomatoes and cucumbers. Those are, I would say, those are the staple vegetables. Um, but and, like, what are some of the other veggies that are a big well, part of meals here? So historically in the Caucasus, um, obviously pre like importing food, they really could only get fruits and vegetables in the summer, you know, spring, summer, fall when they were in season. And then they would have to can them like we talked about for the rest of the year. So still a lot of times, so all most Caucasus women can their own fruits and vegetables still yeah. every fall. And a lot of times when you go to people's homes throughout the meal, they'll have their own canned raspberry jam that they made, or they'll serve you their own pickles that they made or their own, you know, whatever they, whatever they can. Now, obviously they'll also serve, you know, fresh apples or fresh tomatoes and cucumbers because those have been imported. Right. And all of those things work equally well as housewarming gifts, which you're obligated to bring when you go as a guest somewhere, Yep. you know, this is sort of a, a weird thing for Americans trying to figure out how to bring repeated gifts you know, that are not really expensive and you can get chocolate, but people just show up and they got a huge bag of apples, like five pounds of apples or, you know, 10 pounds. Like, Oh, great. And that's the gift. And then you you should share it. 
Um, Our kids are have become so programmed to expect people to bring food when they come visit <laughs> us that their eyes are immediately going to the person's hands when they walk in. Oh, yeah. As what soon as it? anyone walks in, it's like, ooh, did they bring chocolate or fruit or what did they bring? <laughs> so another thing that that my wife and I found is the vegetables, like they'll do salads here, definitely. And you, they have a couple pages of salads, but we've ordered like, like a plate of fresh s- vegetables. And it was definitely the most overpriced thing on the menu because they priced it like a normal dish, but it was literally like a pile of lettuce <laughs> leaves, a pile of green onions <laughs> and cucumbers, maybe bell pepper. I mean, and there was like no dressing and we weren't really sure what to do with it. Um, but I, I've seen that one other place. I was at a, a big community meal and they had a huge thing of lamb soup. And they brought out big piles of herbs, like yeah. a foot long, you know, this whole stalk. And people just eating their soup, eating their bread, and reach out, grab a stalk, and just like Bugs Bunny that thing. Like, <laughs> and that's how they did it. It's so, true. The thing itself, yeah. Yeah. Um, you made a good point about kind of people can their stuff. Things only grow certain times of the year. Everybody grows potatoes and carrots, and then they'll have a huge stockpile for the winter. And onions and cabbage. Yeah. Beets. Um, so those are always, of course, kind of in rotation. Um, uh, but, yeah, tomatoes and I'm so, – I've just have lived here so long now – I forget that it's not normal for an American to take a cucumber and just bite bite right off yeah, the thing. Right, um, it's not. But I know yeah, that. I mean, that's what you do here, you know. Um, yeah. So yeah, always fresh veggies and fresh fruits. Uh, let's move to dairy. Hey, wait. Do you know something that's not on your list? What did candy. I miss? What did you miss? Oh, that candy is a good one. Soups. Yes. Because here, like most people for lunch eat soup and a lot of people at home for dinner eat soup as their first course and dinner as their second course. That's a real good point. Like our kids at preschool every day have soup as their first course and you cannot have your second course until you have eaten your soup. Oh, it is exactly how it is. And even in menus, it's not necessarily... Not organized like appetizers, sides, entrees. It's organized salads, firsts, and seconds. And the firsts are more like appetizery <laughs> things with all the soups. And then the seconds are the meats. Yeah, so soups, borscht, obviously, beet soup. We've talked about that. Um, and then here in the Caucasus, there are a lot of lamb soups. Yes, yeah. And herbs, again, herbs play a really, like, primary role. Like, it yes. can be a filling in some of the breads. It can be an herb soup. It's not just for like a, a seasoning. It's it's the thing. Itself. Yeah, they use a lot more of fresh green fresh greens here as spices than we do in the U.S. Like in the U.S., if I'm going to spice something, I'll grab a jar of taco, you know, a can of taco, a jar of taco seasoning, or I'll grab you know ranch seasoning or whatever I'm going to use. Whereas here, if people are going to season something. They'll chop a bunch of cilantro or chop a bunch of parsley or chop up dill, and they put fresh herbs in it as the seasoning generally. So here are a couple things about the herbs I've noticed. One is with the greens. You can get lettuce. You can get different kinds of lettuce. There's no kale. No kale. No kale, which is interesting. It's got to be a cultural thing because it's a great (laughs) climate for it. You have no respect for antioxidants. (laughs) Secondly, 
You Have can you get lots of kale. Yes. Do you course. even know? You don't even know me. All right. So- <laughs> kale chips. <laughs> don't knock the, the only kale form chips. of kale he's ever tasted. <laughs> <laughs> don't knock the kale chips. All right. Secondly, beet greens are really popular. As a, uh-huh. but third, yeah. there is an herb that is ubiquitous here in Russia that is rarely used in the U.S. And it is, they call it shervil. Shavil. Shavil. Shavil, yeah. rather, not sure. Shavil. And in English, it is what? It's like spinach, I don't right? know. It's similar to spinach. I've looked it up and didn't it's, recognize it's, the name. It's, it's something sassafra- really random. It's sassafras or something like that. Ah. Uh, huh. text my wife. You kind of have to figure out how to use their herbs. Because that's, it's sort of a sour Tart. It's like herb. spinach, but sour. It, it looks. It's shaped not like as, spinach and right, looks and like not spinach, as dark. but it has a sour taste. I right. use it all the time. I love it, and I cook with it every week. And how do you cook with it? I put it in soups often. I make a like a spinach veggie casserole, an egg spinach veggie casserole, and I use that in the place of spinach. Uh, I use it in spinach artichoke dip with artichokes and without the spinach. <laughs> <laughs> so it just becomes shovel dip. So yes, pretty much. That that is um like, and they sassafras use it in soups dip. a lot. Yeah, I think it is sassafras. All right, I have a so bunch ve- of it in my fridge right now. Veggies and fruits. Anything else that we should say about veggies yeah. and fruits? Well, about yeah, soups. Even uh, soup in the Caucasus never tastes better than when you've been up on uh, Elbrus or the mountain on Dumbai. The altitude's getting to you a little bit. You may have been doing some skiing or something. But when you sit down for lunch and have a good soup, oh, it's the best. It is the best. Yeah, their soups here really are so good. Like our kids have gotten so used to having soup for lunch at preschool every day that they expect that lunch should be soup. (laughs) And it's strange for them when I give them something other than soup at lunch, which I love. Like that's so healthy. How different. What does this tell you about? Uh, how programmed you are about how you're raised. I still oh, expect lunch to be seriously. peanut butter PB&J. and jelly sandwich. <laughs> like and if my, I ever try to make him, <laughs> if I ever try to make Andrew anything other than PB and J for lunch, he complains about it. Are you it. serious? Yes. That's a Does he make bit you cut the crust off? Christy, no, he doesn't make me. Cut Kids, that. eat your veggie soup. I'm gonna eat my peanut butter and jelly sandwich. What's that, buddy? <laughs> Um, the nice thing about soup uh, for children is you can just hide so much stuff in soup. Oh, yeah. Our, cr- our like girls stuff. eat like herbs and greens all the time because their soups are full of it and they're used they to it. They don't even know. They, all right. eat, they eat beets all the time. What American kid eats beets no, all the time? I tell you, even straight. It's called it's called dock in English. Yes, that's it. That's doc. it. Doc. Like sassafras so much better. Yeah, it's not sassafras. <laughs> All right, dairy is a big topic and we're we're running long. So let's get into dairy. Yes. Yeah, this is this is a big one and um I mean, it speaks to like it's more of a rural society because dairy comes from cows and there's lots of cows. And well, goats. people have their own cows. And goats. Um people have their own cows. So here's here's how I've my experience of dairy my experience of dairy is cheese first of all well we really like dairy in our family so the first thing i felt was you know uh grief and a loss coming to russia because there is no 
cheddar. There just is no cheddar. Uh, there is yeah. cheddar in the foreign import store, and it's poor and really expensive. So effectively, and there's definitely no extra sharp white aged. Ch- I mean, you know, <laughs> Eli. When we were we were thinking about this podcast, I was thinking about that exact same thing. <laughs> that the hardest thing for me about dairy here is missing extra sharp white aged. <laughs> Better. So when so, we were in America for four months in the fall, and my goal for the four months was to eat extra sharp white cheddar every single day we were home, and I succeeded. Yeah. Oh, whoa! So wow. I've been like, yeah. So you lose, you're goals. sitting there, and and then there's just you know there's not really a solid parmesan and so on and so forth. But this is the thing about crossing cultures. You discover a whole new little world of cheese. And no, it doesn't replace the extra sharp white aged cheddar. And it's not the same as Parmesan. But I went to the market one day and I was just like hoping, you know, I'm like, maybe. And I asked these ladies, like, do you guys have Parmesan? And the one lady looks at me like, no. (laughs) And then I go to some other ladies and there are a bunch of them. And more people can hear me and I'm like, I'm going to act like an idiot. All right, so you have Parmesan and she like smiles at me and she's like, we don't have Parmesan, but we have our own Parmesan. And she hands me what amounts to a donut. It's this little yes. round with no hole puck. in the middle. Yeah, with a little dimple hole in the middle and it's brown. She's like, this is our local Parmesan. I'll sit there like, Duh. I mean, you got to <laughs> buy it at that point. So I tasted it and it's, it's a tangy, hard, white, smoked cheese. Yeah. And it's totally different from anything I've ever had. Yeah. And they have a whole world of little kind of different cheeses. Yeah. A lot of their cheeses here, they're different from the U.S. They're more, like, they're, they tend to be saltier. Yeah, the smoked cheese here is really salty. I really like that. They, yes. are, they don't have as many hard cheeses here. Exactly. Their cheeses the are they younger. They tend to be softer. And that's it's why they salt like, them. Yes. Yeah, it's more similar to like when you would imagine like feta. Yeah. I feel like the cheeses here are kind of like crumbly feta. A lot of the cheese here. A lot of it, yeah. Yeah. But also without the tang sometimes, it's more just like curd. A lot yeah. of it's more like curds. I, th- I think that's the farm to table thing. I think a lot of cheese here is just younger, softer, like whiter cheese basically. And no. sometimes salted. Mouthwatering. Speaking of farm the table, Christy has a good <laughs> cheese story. Can I tell you my favorite <laughs> Let's cheese hear it. story? Okay, so I was at a friend's house probably six months ago, and um, Cabardines. Yeah, and she gave me some of their homemade cheese. Like they have cows. I you know had their milk and their homemade cheese, and it was really good. I mean, I really like Cox's cheese. It's not cheddar, but it's really good in its own right. Agreed. And um. I was like, I've always wanted to learn how to make cheese, but I have no idea. Can you tell me how it's made? And she's like, oh, sure. See that jar over there? And I look over on her kitchen counter, and there's this, like, giant, probably, you know, gallon or two-gallon glass jar, like a giant mason jar, and it is full of, like, this liquid, like, grayish liquid with this white, like, mold stuff fungus stuff on top and i was like uh what is that and how does it work and she explained to me how apparently all caucuses people make their cheese and what they do is they get the stomach 
Am um, I going to want to know this? Am I going to eat cheese after I hear this? Andrew and I have had a hard time eating cheese since then. Stomaching Not it after gonna this? Not going to lie. <laughs> so, Speak for yourself. So they take the stomach of a cow or a goat or a sheep, and they put it in this big jar of water, and they let it ferment for weeks. Which is a fancy food word for rot. Yes. And it like gets grows all this fungus. Wait a minute, the stomach? Yeah, yeah, is what's fermenting in the The jar. Stomach is what's fermenting in the jar. Holy moly! Yeah. So then they get a bunch of milk and they put the milk in a big pan on the stove and they pour a couple cups of the fermented stomach juice into the milk. Yes, and it curdles the milk. Believe it or not, (laughs) (laughs) you have this like giant pan of curds after that and then they put it into a colander and they use like a towel and they press down and press down and press down until all of the liquid comes out and you're stuck with just the curds like pressed tight together and that's why their cheese here has all those little bumps all over it because it's been pressed into a colander it's all the shape of a plastic Thin hold, small hold, like grid colander. Yeah, yeah. Upside down. Yeah, domed, all their cheeses. And, and they cut mm-hmm. it out of the dome because of the colander. Yep. But so Eli, that's thanks how Cox's cheese is Thanks to the, 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 the fermented stomach juice. Well, the thing is, we all know that, you know, yogurt and cheese, it, it, it's, the, it's got bacteria in it. It's got to come from somewhere. You know what was really crazy? I was reading Little House on the Prairie to my kids a couple weeks ago, and they talked about the they were like making cheese, and no joke, they literally did it the exact same way. Like they went to their cousin's house and they got they borrowed a third of the stomach from the cow their cousins had slaughtered and made cheese the exact same way. This proves that Laura Ingalls Wilder. Is actually from the North Caucasus. This is what we've been suspecting the whole time. She is Chechen. I she knew is it. truly Chechen. I knew it. That Let's start confirms a rumor. our suspicion. Let's start a rumor. You know, most people don't know this. So uh, we'll wrap up the cheese story, but yeah. No, the- whoa, whoa, whoa. You guys with your farm connections must hook us up with a fresh cow stomach. Easy. Easy peasy. Wow. All right. I want that to be Holly's next culinary endeavor. She's learned to make hachipuri. That's my wife. She stomach. will do it. Well, you know, when she started making sourdough, you asked if she keeps a big vat of dough in the kitchen. Yeah. Um, the way you do sourdough is basically get some flour wet and it, and it ferments. You just leave it out for a few days in a warm spot. And, it, and what's interesting is it picks up the characteristics and the personality of the yeasts in the region. And so there are online sites where people will mail dried sourdough starter from different locations because they have different characteristics. Huh. So I think we are on the verge. We could start the first cow stomach like marketplace <laughs> online trading. Caucasus cow stomach. <laughs> because who knows? What, what about like a water buffalo from China? <laughs> or what about a cow from Kenya? Or maybe they produce different kinds of cheese. Guys, 
Eli, we're on to something. We will all support you in your entrepreneurial <laughs> endeavors. From a, from a safe distance with a mask <laughs> over my face. All right. So yeah, dairy, big deal, cheese. It's crazy <laughs> how they make it, but it tastes really good. Oh, uh, man. One more thing about dairy. They have so – so cheeses here are kind of limited – but there are lots of different dairy products here that they don't have in America. They run like, the gamut. In America, of, we of, pretty have like we have butter, milk, sour cream, yogurt. Occasionally, you can find what do they call it? Kefir in America, or kefir. how do they pronounce yeah. it? People, it's it's kefir. Some people call it kefir, and you should all stop and call it kefir from in now the on. South, because we call it kefir. Yeah, don't call it that. Whatever. In the south, we don't have it. <laughs> I was gonna say, what's this kefir? <laughs> Hey, you guys said it, not me. <laughs> but like in Russia, they have tons and tons of different, like they've got things that are kind of in between sour cream and kefir or in between milk and sour cream or like they have all sorts of different dairy products that we've never heard of. And here's one of my favorite things about the dairy section in the North Caucasus. In the U.S., you have to do some deep research to find out what really is and what's the difference between Heavy cream, whipping cream, uh, sour cream. Like if you, they all have these mnemonics for what they are. And they're a mixture of cream, heavy cream, extra heavy cream, milk. And it's not clear. All right. In the North Caucasus, in Russia, you go to your dairy section. On one side, you have skim milk. On the other side, you have butter. And between them... Marked by percentage of fat, you have every gradient that you can think of. It's true. <laughs> you go from skim milk to like uh, two one and a half percent to three point two, and then you have the any of the ranges. Like this person's milk is somewhere between six and eight percent, and then you get ten percent, which is in a small packet for cream for coffee, and then you get into actual like thick cream that we would call sour cream from fifteen up to what thirty five percent, and then you. Go on and then get into like the cheap butters at 72%. I like that. Man, I've Have never noticed that. Have you ever noticed that? Noticed that? <laughs> I'm always like, which milk jug looks the coolest? I'm going to get that one. <laughs> that one's got a picture of a cow on it. <laughs> and then we didn't talk about this dairy drink. It's like a yogurty, kefiri type drink, but. Iron, iron, it's called. Uh, the it's kind of like region. drinking sour cream. I've really grown to like iron. Oh, it it feels so good in your yeah. system once you drink it. Everybody like you know it's praises good for the health benefits of iron. Listen, we've really used up our time here, man. I think we're gonna have to. I think we have to do a third episode on food because we got we haven't even talked about honey. <laughs> I don't think you need a whole episode <laughs> Listen, for honey. <laughs> all you need to know is lots of people have their little bee houses and they make <laughs> lots. They make honey here, all forms, all right. thick and thin. My mom, when she visited <laughs> earlier this year, was asking, what kind of gift should I bring? And she was really thinking about it. And she said, to give people, you know, and she's like, what about a little jar of local natural honey? Which is a totally wonderful thought. It makes total sense on our end. My wife and I looked at each other. We're like, mom, we were just at an open air market where they were scooping raw natural honey out of three foot tall tin <laughs> milk barrels and we could have bought a gallon of raw honey for eight dollars and so it was like no slam on her idea but there's so much good honey in the caucuses it's ridiculous yeah i'll end with a quote 
that is on our notes from Cesar Chavez. Chavez or Chavez? If you really want to make a friend, go to someone's house and eat with him. The people who give you their food give you their heart. Well said, Caesar. That could not be truer in the North Caucasus. Yeah, it's true. That's a great life principle, too. Go eat someone else's food. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure, listeners, you have lots of questions. Um, We would love to hear a follow-up. Uh, I know we have local people listening to the podcast. So if we miss something, like if we like made a huge, um, what's the word? Error, blunder, omission. Omission. Yes. Um, please let us know. Um, awesome. Thank you for listening. Uh, hope you enjoyed that. Um, Christy, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Yeah. We'll see you in 2019, Christy. This was episode 35 of Caucus Talk, your source for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus, mountains of Russia. And we will eat you when you get here. <laughs> I mean, see you.